Uh, I think we had our first machine in April, and I think we shipped our first box of masks around May 20th. You are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka. Now, if you're hearing this, it means you're not currently on our subscriber feed. To subscribe, go to getlatka.com. When you subscribe, you won't hear ads like this one. You'll get the full interviews. Right now, you're only hearing partial interviews. And you'll get interviews three weeks earlier from founders, thinkers, and people I find interesting. Like Eric Wan, 18 months before he took Zoom public. We got to grow faster, minimum is 100% over the past several years. Or bootstrap founders like Vivek of Question Pro. When I started the company, it was not cool to raise. Or Looker CEO Frank Bean before Google acquired his company for $2.6 billion. We want to see a real pervasive data culture, and then the rest flows behind that. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. There, you'll find a private RSS feed that you can add to your favorite podcast listening tool, along with other subscriber-only content. Now look, I never want money to be the reason you can't listen to episodes. On the checkout page, you'll see an option to request free access. I grant 100% of those requests, no questions asked. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Lloyd Armbrust. He's the founder of Armbrust American, a U.S. manufacturer of surgical masks and PPE, launched in May 2020, making over $10 million annually. In 2008, he, co-found, he founded Own Local, a white combinator-backed startup responsible for generating $300 million in revenue for more than 3,000 local publications over the last decade. He lives in Austin, Texas with his wife and five kids. Lloyd, you ready to take us to the top? Let's do this. All right. We're focused this time on everything surgical mask related, but you have also <laughs> built a great company with own local and you guys should go check out that first interview with him from, Oh, it's, Lloyd, it's gotta be a couple of years ago at this point. Yeah. I think it's about two years, two years. Yeah. Okay. Talk to me about PPE. Cause a good friend of mine, Bill said, Nathan, you've got to see what Lloyd's done something incredible. It's like nothing to 10 million run rate very fast. When did you print or make your first mask and, and, and what got you excited about doing this? I think we first started doing it in, uh, I think we had our first machine in April and I think we shipped our first box of masks around May 20th. 20th. And yeah. And for me, it was, um, you know, I was, I was kind of my, I actually grew up, um, with my, my dad was in manufacturing. And so I kind of grew up, you know, going to the plants every, you know, couple of weeks, seeing my dad and, you know, you kind of idolize your parents, and, uh, you know, I, I've always kind of wanted to get into manufacturing, but by the time I was, you know, of age, um, there were no manufacturing jobs left in my hometown. In fact, just to put it in perspective, my, my hometown, when my dad was the same age, was about 200,000 people. And when I left uh, Duluth, Minnesota, it was about 60,000 people. And so that mm. shows you just like how much from manufacturing and production it shrank. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, you know, I was, I was looking to get back into it at some point in my career. Um, I, I went, I kind of got, you know, sidelined doing a tech startup like, like we do grew that business to about a, a $11 million in revenue. Um, and, uh, it was, it was a great business, uh, but it was right when the pandemic struck, I was like, man, the problem here is that we just, we rely too much on one region of the world to produce all of our strategic stuff. And I'm like, when is someone going to come up with the notion that we just need to make this here? But sure enough, just solution after solution was like, how do we get this from China more efficiently? And I think the straw that broke the camel's back for me was, I remember um, uh, Sam Altman put out uh, you know, a call to, to buy a billion masks from China at 38 cents a piece because it was really hard to get masks. And, you know, I mean, it 
it was a great effort to be honest um, at the time, but I was like, man, this is just so wrongheaded. Like, why are we going to spend $350 million on buying a billion masks when I did, I kind of put together a model and I was like, I'm pretty sure that for 5 million in investment, I could build the capability of making a billion masks. And then we would have that forever. And, and when I did the math, I was like, man, even if you just built that temporarily and then shut that facility down and just kind of mothballed it until you needed it again, that would be worthwhile. And so that's kind of the process we're in right now. So did you raise 5 million back in April? Yeah, we did. In fact, um, uh, it was, I would say the fastest that we've ever raised, that I've ever raised money before. Um, it was literally a weekend. Uh, in fact, I, I didn't originally plan on raising money for this. I was like, you know, I, I'll buy one assembly line uh, just with for myself and see what happens. And then one of my entrepreneur friends said, hey, like, he, I was going through the math of it and he was like, you really need to scale this. Like the U.S. needs more than just this one line. And so I put together a really bad deck, like probably the worst deck I've ever put together. And uh, I, I pitched all the investors um, that actually I just bought out my investors from my previous company. And uh, so I think it was good timing on that front. And I said, hey, guys, do you want to get in on this? And yeah, we raised about $5 million in a weekend. And, and what was, I mean, this is not like own local or it's a software play with a billion dollar potential upside sort of market value sort of deal. What return are you pitching in? Was it like a fixed interest rate or something? That is a great question. Uh, we actually kind of invented a new thing where I I, um, I didn't, so own local, in the way that traditional VC works, as you well know, is that, um, you know, you're, you're kind of always pretending you're going to be a billion dollar company. You have to. The problem is not every company is meant to be a billion dollar company. So look at own local, like we created a great business, very profitable, cash flow heavy. Um, but it just, at, at some point, it, it didn't make sense for it to be a billion dollar company. So my investors are kind of hanging around going like, hey, you raised all this money. What's the plan? What's because the, they got to exit, right? They they an investor like typically doesn't want to be in a deal for more than seven to ten years, and so you know they were looking for their exit, rightfully so. So this time I was like, I'm not going to make that same mistake where the incentives are a little bit perverse, um, and I'm going to really align the incentives with the investors. So what I did was I created a royalty based model where it is it's structured as a note that is paid back as the machine makes money. And then once the investor hits their one X uh, of payment back, then it, it flips into a royalty agreement where they make money for the life of the machine. Interesting. Okay, got it. And so what's that royalty? You're talking like 10% or something more aggressive? It is more aggressive. So the way that it works is it's 65% 60, uh, at first until the investor get paid back. The idea here was like, hey, let me limit your downside risk, okay? This is a pandemic. We know that the opportunity to get paid back is right now. So let's let's put that on the front end, right? So uh, so we did that. And then once you hit that 1X, um, then we I think it drops to 20% uh, until they hit 2X. And then it's uh, 15, 10, 5. Yep. So it kind of, it's a burn down situation. And actually we... We are back about to close our WeFunder round um, next week because we we offered the same thing to uh, to our customers. So we 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 after we we'd grown, we had some incredible growth last year. We decided, hey, let's offer the same deal to our customer base, and uh, we've got about two thousand customer investors. 
um, who are who were, who were using the money to buy other machines. We bought an N95 machine. We were buying machines to make the you know head coverings that folks wear, the boot coverings. We're really getting into like, okay, how can we serve PPE in the United States going forward? Mm-hmm. So sum up 2020 for me. How much total revenue did you do top line? It was just over $10 million in about six months of uh, time. Interesting. And and quantify that for me. Like how many N95 masks is that? So we didn't sell any N95 last year. Um, the N95 is a recent development. Um, we just did surgical. I, I honestly had assumed that someone would figure out N95 uh, at scale by now, and no one has figured it out. So we decided let's go ahead and start making those two. Um, but yeah, the surgical it's it's pretty much all in surgical masks. So what what that was your best seller last year was these surgical masks. One skew. Wow, one you only sold one skew all last year. We had we did do different colors, but uh, aside well, from that, yeah, <laughs> that's like a dye plate, right? Not you don't have to <laughs> you don't have to change metal arms and things, right? That's okay, exactly right. Yeah. So for anyone listening that's getting inspired to like bring more of this back to the U.S. manufacturing back to the U.S., they go, well, wait, how did Lloyd find like an assembly line to buy? I didn't know you could do that. It sounds like you did something in Pflugerville. I mean, how did you find it? What it cost? And what does it mean to buy an assembly line? So everything we did was just off-the-shelf robotics um, that already exists. A, a lot of the parts um, we went to, I went to the folks that were making this stuff for 10, 20 years in China, and, uh, and none of this before the pandemic was fully automated. So in China, labor is much cheaper. Um, so a lot of it, they're dependent on um, a lot of that labor uh, to move to different parts of the machine. Uh, so we said, okay, well, here are the like four or five different steps that it takes to make a surgical mask. Um, we're going to put that, put it together and use a robot to connect it all together. And so it's kind of like our, the, the machine we have now is kind of a, a version of something that started in, uh, in China with, uh, robotics from Japan and, uh, probably about 30% of the machine today is, uh, made in the U S. Okay. Got it. So you didn't just go to Fluorill and buy something and change like little things. You basically bought like warehouse floor space and then had to build the assembly line. Yeah, we actually, um, we bought uh, we we bought a warehouse and then we turned it into a clean room space. A what space? Clean room. So uh, we decided that from the very beginning that we wanted to produce all of our stuff um, in a in a clean environment, which isn't required. But uh, I felt like it was really important. I mean, you're putting this stuff on your face, right? It might yeah. as well be made in a clean room. And so we spent probably about a quarter million dollars. Uh, turning some existing space that was very nice space, class A warehouse into uh, a clean room space, which just means that it has like an air shower system that scrubs the air. It has a HEPA filtration. And then we do like uh, epoxy floors and epoxy walls. Okay. So with 10 million total sales then and paying 65% profit share back out until paid back, like how, how much profit did you do on the 10 million? That is a good question. I don't think I have an exact answer for that, actually. Um, okay. it, it, it's, it's, um, um, I know that the, the, the first cohort of investors are almost paid back. Got it. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah, so they're, they're about to move from the 65% down to hopefully the 20%. Yeah, and actually, I had hoped that it, had, it, it would go a little bit faster, but um, we, like, the, the machines at first were producing way, way below what we at first anticipated they would. And so it really took a lot of Why did training. that happen? I mean, mostly it's, it's, it's training. Like, you know, we had to, we had to go from, you know, four people to 
50, uh, you know, overnight. And you have a lot of people that don't really know what they're doing. So it's a lot of, you know, uh, standard operating procedures. Um, it's, you, you really take for granted coming from software when you're like, Oh, I've for AWS instances. Like it's not that simple uh, when you're trying to scale production. That said, it's it's also a strategic advantage in a way because anybody else that comes uh, you know, behind us that wants to do exactly what we've done, like they're going to have to go through those same growing pains. They're going to have to do those same things. I would mm-hmm. say you, you mentioned before, like if anybody's inspired about this, like, you know, what, what should they do? I think it, it, whether it's, you know, bringing manufacturing back to the United States, which is what we're trying to, be a part of, or if it's, you know, building a software platform, I think you need to pick something that you are passionate about, that you care about. And I think you need to go after that thing. I've, I've had people, friends who say like, you know, Hey, I have a friend who's like, um, you know, ammunition is really expensive. Uh, I want to make ammunition here in the United States because I shoot a lot. I'm like, we're in Texas, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm, I'm like, great. Like do that. You know, how much does a machine cost? Like look these things up and and I think like he's really passionate about ways that he could make the buying experience better because the thing most man- the, the opportunity here that's insane is that manufacturers in the United States do not sell directly to consumers. It's not a thing that they do, right? And if you do that, your margins are so crazy because manufacturing typically is used to like you have all these middlemen taking bites along the way. So this is really like if you want to, I really think that in, ironically, manufacturing is is the last area that technology is going to eat alive. And, and what I mean by that is what the internet does, like this thing that you're doing here with podcasting, like think about how hard this would have been. You would have had to have your own radio show. You would have your own team. You had to have like 50,000 watts to get in front of people. Now in your living room, you can sit here, you can cut this thing together and you can reach your own audience of millions of people that you were able to build. This wouldn't have been possible 10 years ago, but technology cut out the middleman, right? And that's exactly what has not happened to manufacturing. They are still going through all these people, retailers, group buying organizations, uh, you know, they're used to people taking all these bites of the apple and still they're making a bunch of money. And so for us, we're going direct to consumers, direct to governments, direct to like, we're the only man, we have a 15 person sales team. We're the only surgical mask manufacturer that has a 15 person sales team. Like that's insane. And, and, and it's, and it's because we're cutting out the middleman that allows that to happen. So I think that whether it's ammunition or whether it's, you know, uh, some sort of productivity device that you you put on your desk. If you want to make something physical, if you can cut out the middleman, there is a plenty of opportunity to bring that manufacturing here to the U.S. Lloyd, talk economics to me on ten million. What was the volume? How many USA made surgical masks did you make last year? That is a good question, and I don't have an answer. What's for a you. range? I mean, obviously, it's got to be in the millions, right? Yeah, in the hundreds of millions. Yeah. Um, but uh, what I will tell you is the peak we got to was about a million masks per day when we were running three shifts all the time. We've since cut back because we have enough backstock. And honestly, like the CDC has really been confusing people around what type of protection they should wear. And so uh, they've really kind of gotten this idea out there that you should wear cloth masks. And we're the only country in the world that's saying, hey, you should wear cloth masks because cloth only, only it has an efficacy of about 30% um, filtration. Whereas a surgical mask like ours has a 98% filtration. So it's really funny because all these people walking around Austin, Texas, like I, I never see surgical masks. 
And if you look like our death count in like Texas, for example, I think from COVID is about 25,000 people so far. Compare that to South Korea. They all wear surgical masks in South Korea. In South Korea, they have twice the population and only 400 COVID deaths. And I really think the difference is just protection. Like we just have shit, uh, we just have like crappy protection yeah. in the United States. So economics wise on that sort of scale, what were you able to drive your per unit cost down to? So our costs are down to about five cents a unit. Okay, got it. And what do you sell them for? Like you have a pack of 400 here listed. What do you sell them for? I mean, it really, so what we learned early on, because I've never done consumer before, was that people just, thanks Amazon, uh, they, they expect um, they expect you to uh, to include uh, shipping, free, sh- free shipping. And, and that's a big cost of the item. Um, that takes a big chunk of our Apple. And then like we have, you know, all of these, uh, we, we do have like, uh, you know, some, some uh, resellers and things like that, that take another 10% off of it. And so it, it really depends on the volume that people are buying, because like, if I'm going to sell a pallet, it's, it's a lot easier to sell a pallet of masks. And so we can do that um, just a lot more efficiently because also the labor of putting that in a box is pretty expensive because we're pretty till that point. And so if I could put it in a pallet, it's way, way cheaper. If I need to put it in a box and send it to one person, that is like twice the cost of actually producing. Things. Yeah. I mean, that reflects that reflects in your per unit cost, right? If, you, if someone just buys a sm- your smallest pack of 50 at $29.90, I think that's about 58 cents a mask uh, versus your cost of five cents. But part of that is, sh- I imagine, shipping, right? Yeah. Shipping is, is probably another five cents. And I think putting it in a box to get to them is probably 10 cents. Yeah. Interesting. Now, what happens when the pandemic goes away? Can you repurpose what you've built? I mean, I'm sure you're thinking about this to produce something else. Definitely. So um, one of the things we did differently than than a lot of the other folks who have gotten into this business is we decided early on we wanted to be vertically integrated. And what that means is that we take the raw materials, which is uh, pellets of polypropylene, and we turn that into the fabric that makes the masks. And then we use that fabric and turn that fabric into the masks. Now, most people are just buying that fabric from China and then turning it into masks. So for us, we actually save a lot of money because we're making the fabric, but then that allows us to do so much more. So for example, like all these things are like uh, Tyvek wrapping on, 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 a, on a new home uh, when you're building a house is made out of polypropylene. Yep. Um, so you can like change the- things and pr- pump out all this kind of stuff. Exactly. The base unit is polypropylene and you built everything around the base unit, not the surgical mask. Exactly. But the other thing too, that I I think there will be a much bigger market for, I also think, look, stockpiling, government stockpiling deals with governments and and institutions. Uh, We have some hospital groups who have come to us and said, look, 30% of our PPE needs to be purchased in the United States next year, which was not a thing ever before. So they're looking at that strategically. Governments are saying like, hey, we want to buy it here. They're looking at it strategically. And also like the general population, like if, if you look at um, if you look at SARS in 2000, 2002, um, people are wearing surgical masks on planes, be, uh, mostly in Asia, because of the SARS outbreak in 2002. So I think you're going to have a lot of people who continue to wear masks. Just pers- this habit, new habits. Just new habits, yeah. Yeah. All right, let's wrap up. What do you think you'll do sales in 2021? Oh, wow. That's, that's a tough one. I, I mean, I, I hope to four exit at least. Yeah. Well, it would be very cool. What a, what a story. Come back on in six months, man. Give us an update. All right. Thanks, man. Lloyd, where can they check you out? By the way, wrap up. Where, where can they check you out? 
Uh, you can uh, actually, if you want to see into the the factory and and, and what we're doing, you should uh, you should go to my YouTube channel. I think it's just Lloyd Armbrust. All right, guys, we'll link that up in the show notes. Lloyd, thanks for taking us to the top. All right, thanks.